Should we care about Black Lives Matter? Of course you fucking should. It's crazy if you wouldn't. That would be the normal answer. Yet companies are like, hmm, yeah, what, what should we say? It's like, it's because they're lazy. They don't want to really care about anything. But if they were started thinking about the company as a person, it would be so, of course, it would be so easy to just do it. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that. The best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum. From world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I talk to Dr. Frederick Ost. Freddie has one of the best bios we've ever been sent, so here it is, verbatim. Snask is your future romance, a creative agency of misfit geniuses conquering the world through fine-looking design and real emotions. To worry about what people think of them, they see as a waste of time. As long as they stay true to themselves, they are living their dream. They see love as the only way forward, and they will never sell out or abandon their values. Standing up for their opinions and beliefs is the only way they know. They walk with their backs straight on the path to pursuing their truth. With one foot in front of the other, they seek to challenge conservative frameworks. They are doctors of disturbance, wizards of disruption, and spokesmen of disobedience. They assume the responsibility to stay engaged, give a damn, and strive for empathy. There is a short word for the assumption of responsibility, love. We talk about their theory that you have to make enemies in order to gain fans, and how great ideas never survive too many meetings. We also discuss how to get the most out of a partnership between a client and an agency, especially by encouraging healthy debates, and how you can extend your brain by experimenting. Enjoy. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on the podcast. It's awesome to have you here today, Frederick. Thank you. Thank you, man. So I suppose, uh, like, I, I always like to start these things with, a, a, like, a simple question. It's like, how did you, or why did you choose to to get into this world of, of branding? And, and how did you end up choosing to be a, a brand designer or creator of brands? So I was studying psychology at university, not very good at it. I was just interested in it. And I was kind of tired of, 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 of university in, in terms of studying, I think. I uh, met a couple of friends and we had started a, a club night. where We were DJing and booking bands every second Saturday. So we needed a homepage and a name and a, a logotype and all of those, those things. And I've been... Growing up, playing around a little bit with Photoshop and Illustrator, like like other people, uh, but I thought somehow that maybe I'm good at this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do our our logo and flyers and all these things. Looking back, they're fucking horrendous, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, but during this time, I was like, after one year, I was like, maybe I should apply for a school of graphic design. Um, and so I did. And after a year there, I realized I I, I wanted to study in England in the UK. 
uh, at a, a better better school or bigger school, whatever. Uh, and so I did that. So I studied there for three years, where I met uh, my two other co-founders of Snask, Eric and uh, no Peter and, and Magnus. Uh, and I think that's that's uh, how I became. But um, yeah, so I started from music basically. And when we came to the UK, uh, to Cumbria Institute of the Arts, the teachers were like, uh, oh, you're not allowed to use a computer for the first year. Um, and we were like Swedish, growing up with home PCs, like computers. And we we're like, what are you talking about? That's not graphic design. But then after this first year was done without using a computer, we realized that hey, it's just a tool. The computer is just mm. a tool. And in the end, of course, you need to use it in order to deliver a, a file for print or whatever. But it can limit you a lot if you see it more than a tool. And I remember at one point we decided to, because we were sketching by hand, scanning it into the computer, designing it in the computer, and then that's it. But then we wanted to, like, let's take it out in reality again after designing it. So sketching it, scanning it into the computer, designing it in the computer, and then taking it out into reality and building it by hand, photographing mm. it or making a film or animation, and then into the computer and delivering it. And we found that was so much more fun and rewarding for us to do it that way, uh, that it's basically simply com- continued. And uh, after three years in the, in, the, in the UK and at the university, we did our internships during this time in New York and London. And then we realized we don't want, we want, we want to start our own agency, basically. Uh, and so we did. Everyone said that we were idiots, that... You need 10 years of experience <laughs> in the industry in order to, to start your own company. Um, but then we were like, whose experience would we get? And they were like, yeah, you would get uh, the industry's experience. But the industry's experience is made by old white men. And no one ever questioned them. Uh, so we, we decided to just, let's just make our own mistakes. And let's see if we can... Uh, come up with our own solutions to every problem instead of like listening to to what everyone else are doing basically and uh, fast forward 13 years uh, we're still doing mistakes and we're trying to learn from them uh, but we're we're very sure that what we're doing is our way and the way we believe things and do you think that i mean that uh, you know i can see now that you tell me that origin story i can see those 3d shapes carrying across into your work and there's definitely this tangible element to everything that you create um and the way you talk about it is that that this is your way do you think it's important for for brands and companies to to find their way because obviously it's easy to look at you and go oh, i want to do that exact thing but that's obviously not not right for everyone it's right for snask it's right for you um, do you think brands should be be trying to find that that signature that is their way? Definitely. I mean, both if you talk about our clients as well as other agencies, uh, you have to find what your core thing is. Uh, but I mean, when we work with clients, yeah, we have clients that come to us and want to look like us. But it's kind of uh, easy for us to to talk to them and make them realize that you shouldn't look like us. You should look like you. And um, mm. that's, of course, the whole strategy work of building a brand platform and a tonality of one voice. Um, after doing that, you kind of quickly realize that you shouldn't look like us. You shouldn't be like us. Uh, you should be like you. Uh, and that happens so many times. 
And I think that there are agencies that, tr that try to be similar to us, but they don't really, some of them don't realize why we are like we are. Maybe they think that, oh, you should be drunk a lot and be cocky, but that's not what, what we want to do, what we want to be. Uh, it's, it's a byproduct of basically having a rock band signed, I think. Uh, maybe, um, but it's one of your uh, brand pillars <laughs> of, of a band. Yeah, exactly. Uh, having a band—that's the byproduct, definitely. But I mean, it's it's um, also I think that some people want to be. Um, I don't know. Uh, play around a lot, which is fun. It's real only good. I think that everyone is everything is a remix of something else. So we love mm. to see we love to see when when other agencies you know, uh, are similar to us because it only means that that there are, there are more people believing uh, that that the way we we chosen is is a, a very possible way for many others. And so, how do you? I mean, how do you? What do you do to guide people through that? So they come to you and they go, "Cool, I want to look like you." You know, how do you? How do you guide them away from from doing that? Because obviously, if you just say no to them, they're going to want it. Uh, even well, more. First, uh, first, we basically ask them for a brief, um, and they always. Uh, they, most most companies or brands don't know how to write a brief, and it's not that strange. I mean, we are the experts, uh, and we. It's like using Bolt, asking someone who can't run to to draw he, draw uh, up a schematics of how he should run. Uh, it's mm. kind of stupid because he's expert and. Uh, so they come to us with a brief where we always rewrite it uh, most of the times. So we, we make them realize that, yeah, what you think you need is not what you need, maybe. Or maybe that comes in stage three. Uh, mm. So we do that first, and then we basically have a workshop with them where we uh, point out the direction of their brand. This is with the direction of your brand. This uh, will mean this and this. These are the consequences. Yes, uh, it might mean that you will drop uh, finance uh, during the first year, but it's because of this and this. And in the long run, it will ensure that you have a more stable uh, in everything, profit or whatever you want. Uh, it's kind of easy when you draw it up like that in a workshop. It takes like six hours, uh, but it's very good. And normally when you do that, the client will almost automatically understand that, okay, we're in for a change and we need to change uh, a lot. One of the, mm. one of the, one of the parts is um, personality slider. There are loads of them on the internet, but we're using one of them where they basically decide on a level from, from, for example, elite to mass appeal. And they decide where on that scale they, we want them to first point out where they are today, and then mm. they have to redo it uh, and point out where they uh, where they want to be, and then we basically point out where they should be, and those three are not the same. Um, <laughs> and also, it's funny when they point out like, "Oh, this is where you want to be," and you can draw a line, and then you say like, "Oh, um, so you want to be a little bit provocative and uh, kind of bold." Uh, and kind of innovative, but what if there's a younger brand coming, create uh, uh, three young people, create a startup and get funded, and they want to be maximum provocative, maximum bold, maximum innovative? Are you then happy with the position that you chosen now? And then most brands are not, and then you kind of like that's right, okay, cool, and then they kind of 
by themselves almost yeah, like it pushed themselves uh, towards more obvious and more uh, yeah clear values um, so that's like one part and after the workshop we we then start writing a brand platform for them basically the personality of a brand so what values do they have what do, what do they stand for and all these things and after that we we come into what what do they say and how do they say it so imagining a person coming into a party that you don't know and this person has a personality or values and who he or she is but then also how what does this person say and how does it say it that's the tone of voice so hmm. that has to follow and go hand in hand with the personality the brand platform and once you have those two, you can then start tailoring the suit, basically the graphic identity. Uh, because you can't choose uh, an outfit for a person you never met, or you don't know who he or she is, or you don't know how these persons speak uh, or what they say or stand for. Uh, because you might end up with a hip-hop style for a 75-year-old hippie man, uh, and that would be us wrong. So... Uh, for us, there's no other way than starting in that way, than in that order, and then create the graphic identity. It's basically a translation of the personality and the tone of voice. So that's the, the the procedure for us. And after that, it's like, what do you want us to create after this? Do you want film? Do you want us to do your business card, a website, whatever? And that's very easy then because you put the whole foundation of that in brand in place and we also say if you want to use another agency for this you can do that or you can do it yourself uh, if you want us to do it uh, we can do these parts we're very good and yeah so do you like i mean do you start every project the same way so if somebody's not wanting to invest in those first upfront pieces do you walk away from the the project sometimes we do um but if we feel that i mean sometimes the client already made their own homework and if we read through the brand platform and tonality and we see that it, it sounds good, then, of course, we can just translate that into a visual identity. But, I mean, yes. that's a very, very seldom that that happens. Uh, so most of the cases, the, the client don't have money to do the strategy uh, full on. Mm. So in those cases, we might suggest that we do a workshop where we set the direction of the brand. And then we just make a great graphic identity for them if that's what they need. But then we also tell them that now we're shooting from the hip. And very few humans, except for Rambo, will actually hit the target straight on shooting from the hip. <laughs> so uh, we basically tell them that this is what you invest in, of course. Uh, and it's not 100% accurate, but it's up to you guys. Uh, so, yeah. Sometimes that happens, but we always recommend them to, to to do it properly, especially if it's a rebrand, because then they they already uh, had a brand that went in the wrong direction, and they realize we need to refresh or modernize or whatever. And not doing it correctly that that's so stupid. Um, hmm. It's like, it's like running one hundred meters. Short-sighted decision uh, for for a, a long game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now tell me, you work. You know, your your work spans uh, massive brands, like the the kind of the top brands in the world, all the way to to small brands. And there's also a huge amount of um, personal projects or, or or your own kind of work in there. Do you have the same approach across all the projects? And and why do you like? How do you 
shift your thinking across the difference? You know, do you think differently for for a Google as you would for someone who's opening a coffee shop in in Stockholm? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, basically we try and follow the same procedures. I mean, we do a lot of the pro bono branding. We do we we follow the same procedure, but maybe we of course put less hours in the strategy mm. uh, and try to just like wing it uh, after doing a workshop and like okay probably this will be the brand platform and we try and get that uh, on paper and we find out the, the tone of voice. Uh, but I mean, it's basically the same structure. Uh, if it's a brand branding we're doing, well, as if it's like design project or, or our own project, then we basically just like decide it. We don't even have to do a workshop because we already know what we want to create. Uh, because we are our, our own clients, basically. Um, but but for sure, we do love the process that we're doing, and we think that it gives so much value to any project. So we we actually yeah, we try to follow it as much as we can. Okay. And those 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 pro bono projects and those yourself projects, like why you were telling me before we hit the record button, why you why you do them? Why do you invest so much of your time and energy into these things and 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 talk about them so much? It's because we we strongly believe that you need to push yourself uh, and you need sometimes to to challenge your mind and creativity in ways that uh, a limited client project will never do. Uh, no matter who the client is, there will always be always be limits. And um, today, more than ever, it's important to be able to try and test how high, how far can you go if there were no limits? Um, how can you create something fairly new? Uh, like I said before, the data, uh, all the companies love data these days. Some fucked up reason. It's always like, oh, it's going to tell us the truth. Um, <laughs> but then it's like, yeah, look at your marriage. Do you want to use data for changing your marriage forward? Uh, then you will probably be divorced pretty fast. But if you are, want to use a vision and like, where do we want to end up? How can we get better? Then you can't use data seeing and looking back because data is just today and backwards. Vision is today and forward. So everyone needs vision. Everyone who ever invented anything in this world had vision and not data everyone if without vision if everything was trusted on data there wouldn't be companies like apple it wouldn't they would because iphone no one knew that you wanted an iphone so if they would have gone out and asked people you want an iphone people didn't know people didn't know there existed something like an iphone before it existed so people would have said no and there would be in a forever end this spiral where the consumer what the consumer thinks or he or she wants or needs will be what, what, what creates instead of like having beautiful minds creating something spectacular with vision and risk involved. And that's, I think, and that's to answer your question, that's why we love pro bono projects and our own projects so much because we can just go ahead into a direction full on, just do it and see what happens basically. I love that idea of vision and risk and the combo of those two things that you you are taking a risk, you are stepping off. You don't have that comfy platform of data telling you that this is going to work and that 87.9% of users prefer this choice to the other one. Uh, you are taking that risk and you're stepping off, but ultimately 
I, I guess it's nothing ventured, nothing gained. You're not going to actually no, make no, anything exactly. interesting if you don't try. I think it's more risky to be to be enslaved by data in a way. I think that when you work sometimes, you you can run into UX teams where, oh, we need to make the, the buy button or add to basket button big and green because uh, we have data that people press big and green buttons in order to whatever. Uh, but then it's like, yeah, but then you don't care about brands. If you take a fashion brand and you put huge fucking big green buttons everywhere at the basket, <laughs> not only are you like minimizing the intelligence of the buyer because they can find that fucking basket adding button easily, even if it's just a small plus sign. Uh, and also they won't press add to basket just because it's big and green because it has to do with lifestyle and branding it has to do with so many more behaviors so simply just using data it will only tell you the data you're measuring nothing else mm. so it's just like did hitler love children yes he did great let's build a, a film about that well maybe you're missing out some other in, interesting data about that man uh, oh, but we, we're only interested in this data. Yeah, but mm. if you want to build a brand, it's kind of important to have a big picture and kind of knowing more. And I think that that can be the risk of data and AI and everything. It's just like you don't get that other thing. You don't get that perspective. And I do think that taking risk is is, is only good. It's also a thing. Humans wouldn't, we wouldn't be here if the first humans didn't take risks. That's the whole thing about our, we would have been worms if we didn't take risks. <laughs> we need to take risks. That's how we uh, took over the world. That's why the whole of our homo sapiens went in and, and yeah, came together and realized that we can cooperate and that will make us uh, very powerful. Now we were, of course, we're destroying the world, which is really shitty, but, but yeah. Okay, and where do you see? I mean, where do you see brands fitting into all of this? Like, so you, you've you've worked across all the spectrums. Like, like, what do you think brands' uh, role is today? Like, why should be people wanting brands or investing in brands? Or do you think it's all just a a big lie? In a way, it's all a big lie because people don't need. We don't need need much more than love and empathy, and it's something that people believe they don't they don't need today unfortunately, or at least half the world. Uh, but but if we're talking about brands, uh, it's also interesting because every individual is a brand. Every person is a brand. As soon as you want to portray yourself in a certain way, you're branding yourself. You change the way you talk. You change the way you act. You change the way you walk. You change the way you, you dress. Uh, as soon as you do that, it's kind of branding. You're doing branding, even if it's even if you like it or not. Um, and so I think that, of course, it is important because it's how we function. It's how our society is built up. And if you're a, a commercial brand, uh, of course, you need to think about how you walk, how you look, how you act, how you talk, everything. Uh, and if you have control of your own story, it's much better than letting other people write your story. Um, so I think that's that's really important uh, for brands to know. Because um, if you don't write your own story, everyone else will. And then 
you are not in control of your own story anymore. So make sure you you write well and edit often your own story because it needs to be exciting. It needs to be uh, what do you say? Uh, people need to be like, to keep be interested in it. Mm. And uh, yeah, it should be exciting. Yeah, we always say you got to make them care. Like if you can't get them to care, you've got nothing. If you can't get them to form some kind of an emotional reaction be it positive be it negative be it outrage be it whatever you just need them to feel something else you're not doing a, a great job of it no definitely i mean timur Kamal said uh, when you make something no one hates no one loves it uh, and it's it's very very true and i know winston churchill said uh, when you uh, you have enemies good that means you sit up for something sometime in your life so, I mean, I think that it's super important today that brands take and have opinions and stand up for them as, as important as it is for private individuals to also have opinions and voice them publicly and loud. Uh, I think that it's, it's the new era uh, and brands need to start caring for real about sustainability, people, employees, everyone. Uh, and I think that there's no shortcut. It's just... Start doing it now and you won't have so much work to do later. Hmm. And what do you, like if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to, if they've got a business and they want to think about this themselves, like what are the, how, how would you guide them to start thinking about it and where would you get them to start sort of working? You mean uh, if they want to brand themselves? No, so if they want to care about, like, so you're saying that it's important for brands to kind of care about something oh, and make okay. a stand and say something. Like, how would I? So I've got a company. Like, how do I start that journey? How do I begin caring about something or, or telling the world that I care about it? I think the number one thing is to just sit down with your employees because uh, we're all humans. And like, how can we become? How can we become human in in, in this brand and company? How can we start thinking as a human being? Because if you if you think about your company and brand as a human, as a person, that's, then you're right. It's very hard to go wrong if you just think about that. Should we be very? Should we be the the small person in this argument? Yeah, no, we shouldn't. We should be the big person. We should turn the other cheek, maybe, or we should. But we should, of course, not be limitless. We have to have limits. I mean, all these things is just to. The easiest way is just to translate in your head uh, your company or brand into a person and then just ask yourself questions. And it will pretty much tell you how to be a brand that people think is exciting, that has personality, and that stands up for things. So, which like, is, we I mean... care about? Should we care about Black Lives Matter? Of course, you fucking should. It's crazy if you wouldn't. That would be the normal answer. Yet, companies are like, hmm yeah what what should we say it's like it's because they're lazy they don't want to really care about anything but if they were started thinking about the company as a person it would be so of course it would be so easy to just do it i like that so so which brands do you think have done that well like which brands do you think have been become human uh well and and cared about these things in effective way uh very few <laughs> have done it i think <laughs> Um, I mean, of course, the easiest examples are the brands that are one person, uh, like AOC in the US, the politician, or Emma mm -hmm. Watson, or there are like a lot of uh, people who are famous that are brands, of course, that have done it really good. 
but of course, it's easy for them because they they try to be just themselves in that way. They become human. Um, it's when they try to be inhuman that their brand goes to hell. I think mm. that's when people find it uh, not interesting anymore. Um, but when it comes to, I mean, I, I like Gore, uh, the company that does Gore-Tex. Uh, that mm. no one has a title; they're all associates. That's kind of like risky and very smart, and and I like the the the, the way they think about it. Uh, just like, of course, why should we need so many roles? It's just like I'm an associate of this company; I can help you out. What do you need? Oh, I need this. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll call my uh, my other uh, associate. He or she knows this, or you know, it's just like I think no one questions why we our company structure is the way it is. It just was created that way very long time ago. But does that mean it's the correct way and that it still holds up like 50 mm. years later? No, it doesn't. No. Things have changed. Um, and I think that, just yes, yeah, I think those things are really important as well. So, so um, I guess, you know, in the same vein, I don't know if you know, there's a man named Bill Walsh. He was a coach for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, okay. And he did a thing when he took over the team, they were at the bottom of the league. And one of the first things he did is he said to everybody, every single human being in that team, whether they were cleaning the locker room or the superstar out on the field, they were like, you are an, an ambassador for this team. And you conduct yourself accordingly. So if you're the superstar and you're out there behaving like an idiot, we're going to throw you out. If you are the janitor and we catch you, you know, kicking our equipment around, we're going to throw you out because everybody holds this standard because this is what we we are as a as a team. And I really enjoyed that because I think it's it levels everybody out and it tells them, even though you're not necessarily in the limelight being the superstar, you are building something with a group of other people and what you do is important in the overall picture. Of course, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, and I think the same, that example is very close to the, the submarine example of the the best uh, submarine in the world, army, submarine, whatever. Uh, the captain one day realized that oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away all the hierarchy, uh, all the orders. There's not going to be any orders anymore. Um, so instead of like uh, people like uh, constantly question, like, uh, give me an order, what should I do? Uh, should we go, uh, should we dive to 300 meters or should we keep at the surface? And then he said, the captain would be like, well, I'm not going to give you an order. What do you think? Oh, I think we should uh, drop to 300 meters because there's an enemy up here. Oh, well, then let's do it. Don't ask me, let's do it. Or the person in the, machine room should i clank uh, the machine when we're approaching enemies no because we're approaching enemies you should be silent but in before that it was always orders 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 and no one would do anything until they got an order and, and that they became the, the best uh, working uh, team group of team that they ever like one of the best in the world and the submarine was super super well functioning without anyone having to give or take orders I think that's also interesting in the group of people. And it's like if people can start thinking for themselves and, and then it's, it's way better. It's way, and it's also like Obama talked about this, about 
being allowed to use compromise in your work. Like you took the example of a cleaner cleaning an elderly home. And once once he cleaned all the rooms, he came back and was on his way out. And the, the lady in the first room was crying because she had forgot that he cleaned her room. And she thought that he cleaned all the rooms without hers. And in a commercial world, they would be like, no, you already cleaned her room. Get the hell out of there. Go to the next elderly home and start cleaning there. But a more comp- like compromising thing would just be like, you know what? I'm gonna, I can clean her room really fast. So that she at least yeah, she can calm down and feel a little bit better. And then mm. I can move on. I actually have 20 minutes actually to do that. And if you allow people that, I think we will have a more beautiful world. And Obama, of course, I stole that from Obama. It's like I, I strongly believe that. Mm. So I suppose that puts more uh, pressure on brands that if we're going to put people into this world where they can can act on behalf of our brand in a meaningful way that hasn't been given to them in an order, I suppose it puts more pressure on the people who are creating those brands to actually think about and articulate what those stories are and what the, you know, what's important. What does this brand stand for? What are the things, what are the behaviors that we, we invest in? What are the behaviors that we don't tolerate at all? How do we communicate that? Definitely. No, it's super important. And, and, and now we, we, we took it in another direction, but also if you create a brand and you do all this, build the story, you do the strategy, you do everything right, but in the end, it's not implemented throughout the company. So in the end, they can say the cleaner doesn't care about this old lady and leaves. The old lady gets a visit from her daughter. She's upset. The daughter leaves a review to the cleaner cleaner's company. And suddenly everything that you build, you build the whole story of branding and everything. If it's not implemented, if not everyone, including the janitor and the superstar is working through the brand, you will fail anyway. So it's also like you can't just create a pretty story as a, a brand builder. You also have to make sure that you can implement it accordingly. Mm. I like that. So, so can we talk about uh, your book? I mean, I, I just love, I love the title of it, which is uh, "Make Enemies and Gain Fans." Um, can you, can you just talk about a little bit about your, your kind of, I suppose, I don't know if it's a philosophy or uh, if it was a random thought that you threw out there into the world and it's now been um, cemented to you forever? Um, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it has to do with our belief that when you make something, no one hates, no one loves it. Uh, it's Basically, people, companies are afraid of making enemies uh, with consumers uh, and they want fans, uh, but uh, they don't understand that in order to get fans, you need enemies because you need to stand up for something. And when you stand up for something that you believe in, whether it's you as a private person or a company, you will get enemies, but you will get the right kind of enemies, the enemies that you don't want as fans anyway. And you will also get fans, real fans. Fans is people who don't only scroll past your your post. They will stop. They will like. They will share. They will comment. They will tag their friends. That's mm. called being an ambassador. That's called engagement. It's something that companies pay a lot of money to get. Yet all they had to do was actually stand up for something and say it out loud. And have the vulnerability to stand there in their own what do you say uh, 
honesty and belief and just say this is what we stand for and i think that it's yeah that's uh, one of the reasons we work with branding because we strongly believe that, that companies need to do this um and that's why we wrote the book with that title uh, because it's it's how our view of branding is that we need to do that uh, then also the book talks about our story and our journey uh, to where we are and uh, but it's uh, yeah that's that's the the story behind the the title of the book I mean, I love that because so often, you know, we we receive briefs and we see briefs where it's, you know, the target market is everyone or yeah. uh, like a whole chunk, women between the ages of 20 and 30. You're like, but that's, that's, it's so broad. It's so unspecific. And if we create along those lines, we'll never create anything that somebody can truly, truly fall in love with and truly uh, enjoy. Exactly. So if you, you can actually do an exercise where you do where you then put down uh, what is our enemy. Like so, okay, so we have women between twenty and thirty. Uh, would you like racist women between twenty and thirty? Oh no, that's of course. Well, of course, then we we'll put racist. Uh, would you like to have uh, haters? No, and then you just take, translate them, take the opposites. Hmm. Instead of racist, we want open-minded, loving. Uh, women between 20 and 30, you know, if you do that exercise, it's kind of easy to find out, like, what fans do we actually want? Mm. But that also mean you will get enemies, but the right kind of enemies. So, yeah. I enjoy that. It seems like every, like, in, in all the work you do, you try and make things very simple and very human for people. Is that is that a deliberate thing or is that just uh, come naturally to you? I think it's just come naturally to us. We don't want like to complicate things. But also, I mean, all this strategic work never really shows in a portfolio uh, because all the hours spent in design, of course, and production will, will show, but all the hours in, in, in strategy will not show. So in a way, it's, it's hard to, to maybe see how much work that goes into an idea or pushing the client or all the internal politics within the company that you have to go through and convince people that no, it's it's worth it. It's good. We're on on track. All these things. Uh, that's um, it. Never really shows. Uh, but maybe when people say you always get to do so fun projects, you always. Uh, uh, but they don't see the, all the work that we have to do to push uh, clients and to protect the idea because. Uh, a great idea can't go through more than four meetings after it's, it's totally destroyed. <laughs> uh, because in every meeting, there's a there's a risk minimizer, and he or she is not a bad person. It's just that someone is going to be, and after four meetings, that idea will have been risk minimized uh, down to uh, not being provocative or no one really cares anyway. Uh, so you need to really fight for the idea. You need to fight for everything. Um, and that's the reason why a lot of our projects ended up where they ended up. That's also the opposite is the reason why we don't show all the projects that we do for huge clients that we've done where it ended up somewhere else than we where we wanted it to. And then we choose not to show it. And we also tell the client, like, if you take this decision, we we will still be able to produce it and we will still look fairly good, but we won't put it in the portfolio because we won't be proud of it because we think that this is not the right way to go. And then sometimes they're like, okay, cool, that's fine because we believe in this. Okay, cool. 
or they change their mind and like, okay, that's true. Okay, we go with what do you think. So it's uh, I think it's it's about standing up for yourself in those moments and your idea. I like that, and I suppose it can be a bit of a call to action to to clients or or people who own brands to actually let people follow through when they're fundamental when they really believe in something and you can see that passion and that energy and that drive it's something that you should harness and, and not necessarily mm. get in the way of Definitely. so so which of your clients which of your clients let you do this the most or is it is it with all of your work do you have to fight do you have to fight the good fight on all of your client work i think we have to fight the good fight all the time but more or more and less uh, some some clients just know and they have the experience and they took us in and they're like you're the experts we will listen to what you think. Uh, some some clients have no clue and they believe they are the experts. And in the end, we 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 kind of question why why did you even bring us in? Um, so I mean, it's it's very very different and it can it's some of I mean of course if you do a low budget project. It often comes with with a lot of hassle. Uh, if you come with a high budget project, normally the client are experienced enough to trust you more, um, and they they only demand what I mean. It's often very clear what they demand. Uh, while mm. as if it's like, oh, we're a theater and we would like a poster. Uh, oh, great! And then someone does it really cheaply, and they're like, oh, we didn't really like this font. Can you change it? And then, okay, uh, well, uh, one of the actors in the theater group uh, thought that this red looked like poo. Uh, could we change that to, to, to yellow? Okay. You know, and then after a while, then you realize that it's like, this is, uh, it can be a hassle to do very low budget projects. So the, the, I think for our, for us, the teaching has been, if someone has a sort of low budget, we, we demand creative freedom. We demand only one, one, turn of, of, of corrections uh, and we only uh, so it's you need to like limit uh, the options for those people because they are often very engaged in their own brand or project uh, and that's not very helpful most of the times I like that idea. I actually got a quote from an illustrator recently where he gave me two prices. The first price was if we just accepted his work as we gave it. And the second price was if we wanted uh, the opportunity to give him feedback. And, and I thought that was quite a nice way of thinking about it. You're like, well, you've come to me for, for the work that you've seen. Um, so if you want the work that you've seen, this is how much it costs. And if you want the work that you can see in your head, uh, this is how much it yeah, costs. Yeah, and it's so true, yeah. It's very true. It's very true. Okay, so uh, I suppose you know, just to to close out the 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 episode, like, wh what do you think? Like, what do you think the best relationship is between a client who's trying to build a brand and obviously has kind of objectives or things they need to achieve, and and a company like Snask? Like, so if they're engaging you to build their brand, but they're obviously not doing it for altruistic reasons, they have to achieve certain things. What do you think is the best way for that relationship to be formed? And, and how do you think the best work comes out of it? Honesty and directness. That's uh, our motto. And of course, it might seem uh, a bit uh, not very socially 
uh, smart, uh, but for us, it's the easiest way forward. It's the simplest way without misunderstandings to just honestly and, and direct say, these are the goals. These are the, this is the situation. These are how decisions will be made. Uh, these are the arguments. We also demand that anyone can have uh, an opinion in the project as long as you can back it up with an argument. Uh, if you can't back up your opinion, it will only be an opinion and we won't listen to it. We won't treat it with any kind of importance. Uh, but if someone can back it up, then it's fine. And they can demand the same from us. Um, and uh, I think that's important when it's a big, big project. Uh, yeah. I love that idea. I like I like that you use the word demand. Uh, so so you can't have your opinion unless you can back it up in an argument. So so you very good at arguing uh, your your opinions. Definitely, definitely. Uh, but we're also very good at at giving in on 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 the questions or or parts that we don't uh, have an argument. For example, we don't like the color green. Um, okay. Um, well, there are a lot of other beautiful colors out there that don't look like your competitors, so we can find another one because mm. are, there are no real arguments behind colors. It's just made up and it's very subjective. So mm. one person can like red, another person can hate it, but you can come up with stupid arguments uh, from both <laughs> sides, why red is good or bad. Red is... Uh, blood red is murder red is nature's color warning color or it can be no red is love red is passion red is fire it's very interesting color so in that sense it's just subjective it doesn't really matter no one is afraid of flying a red plane with norwegian no one is afraid to afraid to drink a red drink from coca-cola's red can it doesn't really matter in branding with colors it's just the only thing that matters is it's like if it looks like a competitor or not. And of course, if you choose white and off white, the contrast will be really shitty. But then you're probably just a bad designer. You know, and that, <laughs> then nothing can really help you with arguments. So. Oh, that's such a good point to end on. Thank you so very much for coming on the episode. I really appreciate it. And um, I, hope, I hope everyone who's listening goes out there and has a, a good argument to back up their, their opinion. I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Thank you Thanks so much for letting me come. Thank it's you. It's a pleasure, and we'll catch you in the next one. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season. And we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better, leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape.